Again, the scripture reading today comes from the book of Philippians chapter 3, and we'll be in verses 3 through 11. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Amen. I can have to uh, see everybody here. I know it's a long weekend for many of us, and um, so that's why whether you're here with, sitting, watching, and listening to, or whether you're at home, wherever you are, hopefully um, things are well with you. and look forward to worshiping more together in person. <coughs> so, <coughs> Dory, I don't have COVID. It's just it's, it's something else. But anyways, um, this is a passage uh, that Pastor James just read. It's a famous passage, right? You've heard this before. Um, this passage, actually, uh, from verses 3 to 11, um, it really it gives Paul's resume, um, his, his biography, his, his achievements. And, and you know, if you ever heard this passage, you know the famous part. He says in verse 7, I have counted as loss everything for the sake of Christ. Uh, in verse 8, he says, for the sake, his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count everything as rubbish. Okay? It's, it's, it's really passionate, I think. It, 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 it's gung-ho. Um, and, and most of us, when you heard a sermon on this or when you read this passage, you, you basically came out with something like this. Like, here's, here's Paul, and, uh, you know, he's comparing Jesus with everything else he has in life. And he's saying, you know, Jesus is better, and he's so much better that he's counted everything as trash. That, that's what it says there. You know, the word rubbish, literally, and you've heard this before, it doesn't just mean trash. It literally means poo-poo, okay? Everything is poo-poo compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And he's saying, you know, as you read this, you kind of picture this passionate guy who's saying, I'm giving up all these things. I'm giving up everything that I have because I want to have Jesus because everything compared to him is, is a, like a loss. And I'd rather have him than anything else. And you heard this sermon and, and you said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go to missions, right? I'm going I'm to give my life to God. I'm going to give everything up and I'm going to go, right? And this is, this is how we... And this is how I have taken this passage and looked at this. But I want to share something with you, and I think it's this. It's deeper than that. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a lot deeper. And we're still here in this series about um, the self. And if you're following me and if you've been here with me uh, in, the, in the recent weeks, 
remember we looked at Genesis 3 and we try to describe the essence of what, what the sin or what the problem was. Uh, and that we said that the problem in Genesis 3 was that we are naturally now inwardly turned in on ourselves. We are naturally uh, uh, center of our world. And, and that's the essence of sin. It's not just something you did wrong. It, it's not just I broke a rule or, or, or a commandment. It's this I have made myself the center of my world and everything that I see, I interpret for myself. That's what Adam and Eve did. And then the week after that, we, we talked about how uh, that selfishness that's innate in all of us now is not always all bad, that there is a self-interest that God cares about and he wants us to be interested in him for our own reasons, for our purposes, for our good. Okay, um, and, and that's what we saw the last time we uh, looked at this subject. But today, uh, I want to see, show you how the idea of sin, especially in our culture today, is so relevant and so important in connecting with the idea of our identity. Identity. Now, what, what is Identity. Identity asks the question, who are you? And it's not a question that just Christians ask. It's also a question everyone asks. Identity is an important issue today. Who am I? What am I about? And that's what we want to see here and what Paul shows us in this passage regarding identity. Robert Murray McShane, a Scottish minister and missionary who lived in the 19th century, powerful preacher, uh, speaker, writer, died at the age of 29 because he was doing a visitation, visiting one of the members, and he caught typhoid fever, right? And he passed away at 29. And on his deathbed, one of the last things he's called saying is this, quote, one thing I have learned in life, the seed of every sin lies in my heart. The seed of every sin lies in my heart. And he's not saying that we are all sinful as we could be, but I think what he's saying is no matter what the sin is, the potential is there in my heart. Seed is small, it's unnoticed. It's a thought. It's a desire. But there's a potential for that seed to grow, to blossom into something much more than a thought. Maybe even an action. Horrible one, in fact. But the essence of sin is this. It's not just about being ethically or morally wrong. The essence of sin in the Bible is that it's relationally wrong. That when you talk about sin and doing something wrong, it's always in relationship to this God who says that's not right. And so what we learned in Genesis 3 was this. The core of my being, the essence of my sinfulness is this. I say in relationship to God or anything else, not your way, my way. Not what you want, what I want. Not what you think or say, but what I think I say or say. Sin, we said, is, 
is of the self. It's self-centered, it's self-seeking, it's self-promoting, it's self-gratifying. And if that's true, then the seed of selfishness can grow and produce something that I think is so prevalent, not just in my life, but I think also in your life, and especially in our Western culture today. And that is this. The seed of selfishness pro pro uh, promotes a profound and radical individualism. Individualism. As much as we in the world want to talk about unity, the reality is, and most people would agree, that we live in a time and a culture that is more individualistic than ever before. And so sin of selfishness, individualism, has huge ramifications with regards to identity. Who are you? What are you about? What makes you, you? What gives you purpose, uh, meaning, significance right now in your life? Here's a question we've got to ask. Why are you even alive today? Why do you even get up out of bed in the morning? And in a radically individualistic society, guess how you're going to answer that question? You. You determine you. And therefore, you need to discover, you need to invent, you need to create you. Your identity. Your worth, your significance, your purpose is up to you. You have to self-identify. You have to find your self-worth. You have to find your self-recognition. This is how we function today. You know, there was an author named Gail Sheehy, a famous author and journalist, who actually just passed away a couple of years ago at the age of 83, and she wrote a lot of books that focus on much of the cultural shifts in our country today. And one of the books she wrote was entitled Passages, written in 1976. But it was named, did you know, it was named one of the most 10 influential books of our time by the Library of Congress. I don't know if you ever heard of her or even read this book. But in this book, one of the trends she says regards identity. And she says something to the effect of this. She insists that in order to find you, in order to find your true identity, who you really are, the only way you're going to do this is to look deep down inside of you and see what your desires are and see what your wants are and see what your affinities are and then express them. Realize them apart from any outside or external dictates or evaluations or accreditations. That's how you do it. This is what sociologists uh, say is one of the most fundamental narratives of our Western individualistic culture. That is, to discover our deepest desires and longings and then do all we can to realize it, to achieve it, regardless of what anyone else says, of any constraint. Famous sociologist Robert Bella calls this expressive individualism. Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, calls it the sovereign self. 
and we see this even in our own lives. We see glimpses of this even in our own thinking, as subtle as it might be. We say things like, hey, be true to yourself. You do you and I'll do me. I'm keeping it real. And before you love anyone else, love yourself. It's rampant in our thinking. Now, look, don't get me wrong. This is not all bad. There's something to say about appreciating our individuality, expressing our own uniqueness. I mean, after all, I will confess, I am a boring person compared to many of you. But if everyone was like me, then I would be bored, right? So, of course, realizing desires and wants, understanding my feelings as a part of my identity, I think is generally a good thing. But that's not the problem. The problem with today's narrative is not that we want to understand and direct our own desires and wants. The problem is we enthrone them. And we say, if I think about it, this is what I want. This is how I feel. This is what I think. This is what I am. And I don't care what my parents say. I don't care what my friends say. I don't care. It doesn't matter what society says. It doesn't even matter what the church says or the Bible says or God says. I determine me, my worth, my significance and value. I am the sovereign self and that's all that matters. Now on surface, it sounds pretty liberating. Forget what anyone says. You do you. Right? Whatever you want. Make it happen. But there are two problems with this. And these are problems that I, I didn't point out, but, uh, or even Christian thinkers point out. In fact, non-Christians point out. There are two problems with this understanding. First, the modern idea of identities, if the modern idea of identity is, hey, don't care what anyone else thinks. Just look inside yourself and give yourself significance. Validate yourself. Love yourself. Then it's impossible. Charles Taylor, uh, who I've quoted before, a famous uh, sociologist who is also a non-Christian, says this, quote, You cannot get significance through self-recognition. It must come in great measure from others. In the end, you can't name yourself, you can't bless yourself, you can't ultimately say to yourself, I don't care what everyone thinks that I'm a monster, I love myself, and that's all that matters. That would not convince us of our worth unless we were mentally unsound. And listen to this, this is what he says. We need someone from outside to say that we are of great worth. And the greater the worth of the person telling us so, the more powerful that recognition is to our identity formation, end quote. Do you hear what he says? We need someone outside of ourselves to say that we are of great worth. And the greater the worth of that person telling us, the more powerful the recognition is to our identity. What he's saying is this. No matter how self-involved, how individualistic you might think you are or try to be, there is still an unshakable need for external affirmation and recognition. I mean, let me illustrate it this way. Um, I could tell you 
that I am the best basketball player that you will ever meet. Okay, now if you know me, you know I stink. But let's say I tell you, let's say I am the best basketball player in the world, and I don't care what you think. I, if, I don't care if I've never scored. I don't care if you think I always foul out. I don't care if you think I, I can't even dribble a ball because deep down I look into my heart, I look into myself, and I know I am the best basketball player in the world. Now what would you think about that if, you, if I said that to you? You probably think I'm a little deluded. But let's say hypothetically that somehow I got to play ball with Michael Jordan. And after we play, Michael Jordan says to me, Francis, you are the best basketball player I've seen. Oh, my gosh. That is a huge difference, isn't it? I've been convincing myself, I've been telling myself, no matter what everyone says, no matter how I play, I'm still good, I'm still good, I'm still good. But then I hear from someone who I love and respect tell me that I'm good. It makes a huge difference, doesn't it? Let me give you another example, marriage. If you're single today, let me ask you a question. Actually, if you're married today, let me ask you a question. Why did you get married? Why do you want to get married? I don't want to get married. I don't want to be alone. I want to get married. <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to, you know, <laughs> make anyone feel bad. But, and I know some of you are asking, some of you who are married, you're asking the question too. Why did I get married? That's not what I'm asking. I'm, that's, a, that's for another sermon, okay? That's for Pastor James seminars and stuff. But uh, I'm asking the question, why did you legally, why do we legally want to get married? Why do we want to have a ceremony and get married, a public ceremony? Why do we want a pastor or a, an officiant to, outside of us, tell us you are now husband and wife? Why do we even legally get married before the courts, before the state, before the recognition of everyone around us and our friends and see and watch and say to us, I am now married? Why do we do that? You know, you look at TV and movie stars, they're getting married all the time. Why not just say, hey, forget about the institution of marriage. It's just a societal invention. All we need to do is as long as we know, as long as I know that, you know, we're committed to each other, we don't need a marriage license. We don't need marriage ceremony. But no, even those people who get divorced all the time still go through some kind of ceremony. You know why? Because we internally for the most part want an external recognition of my love and my commitment to a person we need someone outside of us to tell us you are now husband and wife we want others around us to see and to publicly declare my commitment to this person we look for external affirmation all the time identity always comes from the acclaim and accreditation of someone outside of us. And that's how we're built. That's how we are made. We can't avoid it. We want it. No matter how many times you try to convince yourself, I don't care what anyone says, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. But, but until we get that affirmation, there's always something missing. You can't do it. It's impossible on your own. Second problem is even bigger. 
it might sound liberating to you, you know, forget what society, culture, what, you know, church, or what anyone says, you do you, you find yourself, and you make it happen. It, it might sound liberating in the beginning, but, but think about this. If your identity, who you are, your value and significance comes solely from your inner desires without anyone else telling you, then here's the thing. Now you've got to make that a reality. This is what I want. This is what gives me significance. I believe this is going to give me my value. Now I've got to achieve it. I've got to make this a reality. After identifying my dreams, my desires, my wants, my feelings, I've got to fulfill them to make my identity complete and real. In other words, if you determine who you are, then you have to live up to that. And you have to achieve it. You want social status? You think that's going to make you know, who you are? You've got to work to get that social status. You've got to move up the ladder. You think education and where you went to school is going to make a huge difference? And so that means you've got to study hard. And you've got to work to get into the schools. And you've got to earn the degrees. You think professional success at work is all about who you are, and if you have success, then you know who you are. That means this, you need to work hard. You need to raise your income. You need to increase your net worth. You've got to achieve it. You think marriage and family is going to complete you? Having kids is going to complete you? You've got to do all you can to find Mr. or Mrs. Wright. And even if he's not Mr. or Mrs. Wright, just get married because that's going to complete you so you can have kids. Even morality. You're a good person. I want to be a good person. I want to be cursing. Well, if that's true, you've got to live up to that. You've got to achieve goodness. Do the right thing all the time. All of these things aren't bad. In fact, they're good things. But here's the problem. If you're going to base your significance and worth, your whole life and identity, your reason for living on any of those things, then achieving them, gaining them, accomplishing them in your life, they aren't just good things you do for yourself. They become a matter of life and death for you. Because two things are going to happen, possibly two. One is you actually achieve it. You actually make it happen in your life. But what happens is you get prideful. You become arrogant. You are tempted to look down on others. And you say, look, this is who I am, and I did it. I built this. I worked so hard for this. You can't talk to me the way you do. You can't disrespect me the way I do. I've done this, and I've achieved it. That's one problem. You become arrogant. But the second problem is this. You don't achieve it. You fail. Or you've achieved it, but then you lose. When that happens, if your identity is based on any of those things and you can't achieve it or you lose it, you will be crushed. You will hate yourself. You will hate your life. You will find no purpose in meaning. Oh, my goodness. If the meaning of my life was to get married and I can't find anyone, I am doomed. Right? If, I, if the meaning of my life is to excel at work and I lost my job, I am over. Life is done. You'll be crushed. You'll hate yourself. 
You see the problem? Since identity always comes from the acclaim and accreditation of someone outside of us, we need to get their approval. And only if we achieve, then our self-worth will be maintained. But we are always feeling up and down because I don't know if I can maintain it. I could lose it any moment, and I'm not sure if I could achieve it. And if my self-worth is based on that, I'm always up and down, depending on how I'm doing today. You will be a slave. It controls you. You don't control it. You know, I, I, let me try to explain this. I mean, we're going to get into the passage. Don't worry. This is all set up. <laughs> right? Uh, you know, it's, we're in our 15th year here at Sojourner in its, in its existence. This is our 15th year, I think. 15 years. And one of the things I've learned across the 15 years is this. I'm not that gifted. <laughs> I used to think I could do everything. You know? Oh, who needs praise team? I'll lead praise. You know? Who needs welcoming committee? I, I'll do the welcoming. I could do it all. Who needs organization? I'll organize it. And I realized over the 15 years, I, 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 I don't have many gifts. But if there's one thing that I say I have, that I say I could have or have that I actually enjoy doing over the course of 15 years is this, and that's preaching. I have always enjoyed preaching or teaching. And to be honest, there's not much else I could do that well. But here's my problem. If I preach a bad sermon, I go home feeling like crap. Because if all I can do is preach, and I fail even at that, my purpose, my identity is at stake. I need to hear, that was a great sermon. And if I hear, that was bad, whatever, I am down. And when I make even preaching my identity, my worth, my significance, my value in the church, it becomes something I don't enjoy. It becomes something I dread. I dread it. I know when I preach a good sermon. I know when I preach a bad sermon. And you know when I preach a bad sermon, you know what I do when I go home? I should go home and I say, Lord, please use me and use these words to convict, to challenge people. But you know what I do in my head? Oh, my gosh, that sucks so bad. Next week, I'm going to knock them dead. Right? Next week, I'm going to knock these guys dead. I need, to, I, need to, I need to redeem myself. Get back my honor. Right? Get back my worth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock it dead tomorrow, next week. And it's draining to always think like that. That's the problem with modern understanding of identity, if it's just all about me. Now, let's move towards our passage, okay? In Paul's letter, follow me. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul says, But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I don't want to boast 
in anything but Christ. And there are a lot of places where Paul talks about boasting and says things like, no one should boast. I will boast in nothing except Christ. And here in Galatians 6, he says, I will boast in nothing except the cross of Christ. But here, let me, let me ask you a question. When you think about boasting, what, what do you think of? And normally we think of someone who's always bragging, right? Someone who's always talking about their accomplishments. But when you look at the word boasting in the Bible or how Paul uses it, it's actually much deeper than that. Because in the Bible, oftentimes the word boast is translated glory. Boasting and glory, interchangeable. So when Paul says, I will boast in nothing else but the cross, he's saying, I will glory in nothing else but the cross. Now follow me, okay? What does that actually mean then? Glory in the Hebrew Bible is the word kavod. And it literally means weight. That's what glory literally means. Glory is something weighty. So when Paul says, I, this is what I boast in, this is what I glory in, what he's really saying is, this is what gives me weight. This is the thing that makes me count. This gives me substance. This defines me. When he says, this is what I glory in, he's saying, this is what gives me my identity. This is the thing that gives me weight. Now follow me. Here in our passage, we come to this famous passage in Philippians 3. And look at what he says there in the beginning of verses. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now, when you look at other translations, that verse reads like this. If any man has reasons to boast, I have more. And so you keep reading these verses, and Paul starts giving then his resume. Things that he could have boasted in. In verse 5, he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's talking about his family, his pedigree, his social status. He says in verse 5, he was a Pharisee. Pharisees were scholars. They were educated. They had degrees. He's Ivy League. Third, he says, to zeal, I persecuted the church. He says, my job was to be a rabbi, and I was successful at my job. Social status, educational excellence, professional success. Even in his moral living, he says, I was faultless. My moral record is spotless. Paul says in our passage, these things I used to have confidence in. I used to boast in. These things I used to glory in. Social status, educational excellence, professional success. In other words, Paul is talking about his identity. And he's saying in our passage, I used to look at those things and they gave me weight. They made me feel like I count. Like I'm somebody. They gave me my worth, my significance. They gave me my identity. But then what does Paul say in verse 7? Those famous verses. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Everything is rubbish compared to him. 
So he says, compared to Jesus, all that now is lost. It's useless. It's trash compared to knowing Christ. Now what that means for Paul is this. When he became a Christian, or let me put it this way. In order to become a Christian, he had to stop boasting, glorying in all those relatively good things in order to boast and glory in the greater things. When he says, I count everything as a loss, what that means is he had to stop looking at those everythings, those achievements, as good as they might be, he had to stop looking at those things as source of, sources of his identity, his significance, and worth. They no longer give me weight. Jesus does. Are you following me here? He's not saying, you know what, give up, give up, you know, you know, studying. He didn't stop studying. It didn't mean that he didn't enjoy still being a Hebrew. Of course he did. It didn't mean give it up. Be, give up your family? No. Did it mean he threw away his clean record and stopped trying to be moral? Of course not. It didn't mean that he stopped trying to do those. Then what did it mean? All those things Paul achieved for himself, it just meant now those things are no longer foundational to his identity. He no longer boasted, found confidence, gloried in them. Why? Because now they no longer give him weight. Why? Now listen carefully. Here's where the Christian's offer of identity can be much more liberating than our modern day understanding of identity. Christian identity is an identity that is not achieved. It is received. It is not achieved. It's received. It is not achieved through our performance of social roles. Christian identity is not achieved through our fulfilling of religious and moral standards. Or even through our success and our achievement of status. The identity is important, but it's very different than what the Bible shows us. Christian identity is not self-recognition. It's not self-worth or self-validation. Rather, Christian identity is the ultimate recognition, the ultimate worth, and the ultimate validation because it's the approval of a God outside of us who sees us in Jesus Christ and says, I love you. You are worthy. Christian worth and significance is not, you know, go out and try to create or convince yourself that you are loved and accepted and really this good. Christian identity is not what you achieve. Christian identity is bestowed upon you by his grace. And this is what Paul says in verse 9 of our passage. He gave up everything in order what? To be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. He's saying this, I have gave up everything else as a source of my identity so that I could have myself found in him. Having a record that comes not from my own performance or effort, but that which is through faith in Christ. 
Do you see this? Do you understand? Christian identity is completely external. It comes from outside of you. Modern man says, look inside of you. Look at your desires and wants and make that happen. The Bible says no. The real, loving, liberating identity, it doesn't just begin inside. It first comes from outside. Identity is not achieved. It's received. And you and each and every one of you is unique and precious in God's eye because you were created in the image of this God. But you were saved, not by achievement, not by works, but by grace. You were given a name. Your name is now son and daughter of a living God who now calls himself your father. You've been given identity. And you've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, as Paul says in Ephesians. He has given you worth. He has made you worthy when he gave you his only begotten son for you. You've got to understand this because you have to understand how liberating this can be. Because this is not just something Christians want. This is something everybody wants. Let me give you a quote of a famous person. Quote, I'm cool with failing so long as I know that there are people around me that love me unconditionally. I'm cool with failing so long as I know there are people around me who love me unconditionally. You know who said that? Dave Chappelle. Even Dave knows. And this is what Paul is trying to tell us. Paul realizes that in our passage, passage, he has only with Jesus Christ and nothing else. No matter how much you've gained but lost, no matter how many times you have failed or to do or to achieve at home, as a parent, as an employee, at work, or even in the church or in the world, Paul is saying, in Christ, they can never be the weight of your life. You do not boast in them. You do not glory in them. They can never give you your way. But rather, you have an identity and a worth, a significance that will never change. That will not even waver. Simply because it is a gracious identity that, that you didn't achieve. But you simply received by faith. All because it was Jesus Christ who achieved it for you. And that means you can be cool with failing because you have someone of great worth who loves you unconditionally. The question of identity, the question we should be asking is not, who am I? The question, if you're looking for identity, is this. Whose am I? Whose am I? What owns me? What belongs to me? Who do I belong to? What, what controls me? What am I living for? Whose am I? That's the question of identity that Paul is asking. And so I pray that all of us grow into our identity. That we are able to say like Paul, I find no confidence in the flesh. I boast in glory in these no longer, but only in him. And I'll consider everything a loss compared to knowing him. He gives me my identity.
and that gives me weight and purpose and significance and unconditional love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your grace. Um, it's something that, Lord, we know it, the Bible is an old book, and it, it, it speaks from a culture that is, sounds very different and foreign and even irrelevant to us many times in modern day. And yet it continues to speak on human issues and concerns that have always been there from the very beginning. And so I pray, Lord, but by your spirit and your word that you would help us to once again realign our thinking and, and our understanding, um, the things that we take for granted of how we live and how people think out there in the world even today. And reorient them to flow not just from the narrative of this world but to the narrative of the Bible. To be challenged and to see, help us to see not only... Uh, that Christianity gives us, I think, Lord, what, what deep down all of us want, but at the same time, switches everything upside down. We all want significance. We all want worth. We all want value. We all want approval. We all want acceptance. We all, we all want to be told that, that, that we are good or we are loved no matter what, and that, and that we, no matter what mistakes, that, that they're always with us. We want to be told that we're a success, that we've done a good job. And yet, Lord, our identity is misplaced. We place it in created things rather than our creator. And because of that, who we are is always at stake. We are always unstable, depending on how the day goes. We fluctuate and vacillate to and fro because we're never sure if we have achieved enough to secure it. Switch that around. Help us to see not only the goodness and the wonder of how good Jesus is, but also, Lord, that he gives what we need the most, and that is, Lord, a security and identity that no one can change and no one can make go away. And that ought to free us, to liberate us, to not be afraid of failure, to not be discouraged by our own sin and our own uh, shortcomings, to not put ourselves down when we haven't accomplished, haven't done, haven't acted as we have always wanted to deep down. But to know, Lord, we are not individuals alone. We are connected and we are made for a relationship that gives us meaning and purpose, and that relationship ought to be found in you. Help us to repent, to turn away from those things which we work so hard for as purposes, as sources of meaning, and turn to you to give us ultimate joy in our identity so that we might go back to achieve out of joy, out of love and desire, but nothing else. For your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.